Greetings, citizens, and welcome to episode 58 of I Am The Night, which focuses on a wonderful episode of Batman Animated Series, episode 64 to be exact, Read My Lips. And if that's not a big enough clue as to who this week's villain or villains are, let my cohort and my companion in crime explain a little bit further. Adam, hello, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm trying to process such a classic and great episode of this Gotler gear. I think um, <laughs> this one's truly unforgettable as we're getting to the end of season one. And I've loved the idea of this character and this villain, but I'm very happy to have seen Scarface and the Ventriloquist done so well here in this animated episode. Absolutely. And finally, we're getting to see a modern age villain, not someone from the golden, silver or bronze ages, an actual creation of the later years and created by a British writer, Alan Grant, no less, and the late oh, wow. lamented Norm Brayfogle, one of the greatest Batman artists of all time. May he rest in peace. God, I miss him. I'm sure you do. When he's created characters, this classic, how could you not? But then again, with uh, artists and writers like that good, their creations will keep them around forever, especially when they're, retold and portrayed this well so modern take i'm sorry i'm not as up on comics as i would have otherwise liked uh don't worry that's what i'm here for that is what you're here for so do tell me what uh modern origin means what what sort of time frame does that come under um late 80s early 90s so unbelievable the fact that what well, he is a classic villain though already there's something about like that like mobstery sort of aesthetic that makes him feel very old beyond his years if that's a possibility but yeah, I'm very interested to have seen something appear so old come into something so new. And the episode did a lot of that, I think, very well. Well said. And I'm glad you brought up the gangster motif because right from the beginning, um, the story is written by Alan Burnett and Michael Reeves with a script by the legendary Joe R. Lansdale. If you've never heard of this guy, well, let's just put it this way. 45 novels under his belt. 30 short story collections. He's won a British Fantasy Award and the legendary classic novel and film from the novel, Baba Hotep, which mixes John F. Kennedy, Elvis, and Egyptian mythology. Um, and that one in one of his 10, count them, 10 Stoker Awards. That's the kind of fiction, uh, liturgy backlog and like bibliography I aspire to. Yeah. That is quite oh, yeah. impressive. And here he is writing a crime drama for Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely. And then again, I suppose when you're a writer that big and that prolific, it gets to a point where you can sort of write what you want. Yeah. Like Neil Gaiman sort of levels. So yeah, more power to him and he did a fantastic job. Absolutely. This this episode, the characters, the story, everything about it doesn't just harken back to the comics. It adds to the myth and the legend of the Batman and Scarface and the Ventriloquist in my mind. Truly, yeah. Uh, there's... All angles explored of what the Ventriloquist and, the, and Scarface is, and honestly, we've provided with a real mystery, a lot of repartee and great themes. I Absolutely. was very impressed by this episode. Absolutely. And like you said, with the gangster thing, the fact that Scarface is a legendary name amongst gangsters in fiction with Al Pacino and in reality with Al Capone. Yep. There's such strong sort of like visual cues and naming cues that just really tap into the genre so well that it'd be impossible to avoid it so they handled it very well indeed such a strong character and um <laughs> gangsters and i'm glad you mentioned visuals because i have to once again because it's been a while i think mention the incredible 
scores of Shirley Walker because this episode is pure gangster soundtrack, pure jazz, pure that whole ethos and era. There's a lot of times where the music in this show really has that grand sort of Mark of Zorro-esque yeah. sort of sort of no usually it has that sort of like mm. grandiose yeah. old world hero swashbuckling cinema but totally. it doesn't have that here nope. here it has like the low basses and the the hi-hat sort of like old 1920s gangster serials which is exactly what you want for this kind of character in this kind of story and it just shows the adaptability of that the creative team have to be able to tell the stories they want to tell it maps itself so that it can be a gangster story one day, but then a swashbuckling superhero story another day. So right, absolutely. And of course, again, a lot of the visual cues have to go to an amazingly brilliant directed episode. Boyd Kirkland's done wonders with this. I mean, the whole escape sequence after the boxing match with Rhino and Ventura's uh, Scarface cronies, where you can see just silhouettes and it's the white on black animation at its best where there's literally just a hint of the shadows and you see the size of rhino mm. rather than rhino himself and it's gorgeous you really get that it is in fact a dark sort of silhouetted area i feel like this episode handled that just a teensy bit better than the previous episode Agreed. where we had jim gordon striking a match to look yeah. at his uh clock but look at his watch it got to a point where you could actually see just the sh- the shapes and the outlines. We were pleasantly surprised by it actually being sufficiently dark enough. And honestly, that visual cue is just so strong that it's really stuck with you. Yeah, it looked stunning. And some fantastic Batman moments as well because of that white on black animation. The bit where you see a curtain switch and a slight hint of a silhouette of his cape when he walks into Gordon's office. The amazing part in the alleyway where he confronts Rhino, where he steps out of the steam that's coming out from the steam grate from the subways below and moving away from the noir to the completely opposite of noir, the wonderful rotating swirling newspapers, which are the biggest Batman 66 tribute to date in this episode. I feel like that's also a trope of very old timey vintage yes, cinema. Just to, well those, just to see those newspapers fly in. And what I really appreciated is that I actually paid attention to this more than the headlines. Because the headlines are just like crime wave in Gotham, yeah. other news, water wet. <laughs> to, to, quote, to quote Perry White of um, Batman Superman. But I was paying more attention to the actual newspapers and it was Gotham, Gotham Globe, Gotham Star, Gotham Times. Yeah. All three different papers, but all ones that I know are actually established in Batman comics going way, 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 way back. Well done. So I wanted to try and make that effort to see if they actually put that level of world building care and attention into the episode, and I was pleasantly surprised I by that. I am very impressed. The only one they missed was the Gotham Gazette, because that one's a bit more of a news of the world, um, uh, Bigfoot ate my baby kind of newspaper. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if it's Weekly World News. That's what you're thinking. Yes. Of. Uh, in terms of like high tabloids, I'll remember when uh, Osama bin Laden was assassinated. The Sun put the single headline and a very large picture of bin Laden by saying bin bagged. Yeah. I swear to cow, that was a thing that happened in our country's journalism. Uh, I've always said that that paper should be renamed The Pun and they should let us write all their headlines. But we digress. Well spotted. I'm impressed. Good job. Absolutely good job. But um, 
it's not just visuals. Um, the art, the animation, the direction, and the dialogue in this episode. Little hints, little clues. Studied with Zatara. Yes, studied with Zatara. A lovely callback to a side character we had seen several episodes ago when his lovely daughter appeared on the scene. Um, I love the the skills that he was referring to wasn't simply just a throwaway. It was still going to be relevant later. But still, just that care and attention of the wider DC universe yes. and all the characters he's interacted with is just a great show of respect to the source material that these writers are handling. It's also a good uh, callback to within the own show, just to show that there's still continuity and care between the episodes, even though the episodes are all fairly standalone. That kind of devotion and attention just makes the whole thing feel that much stronger. Brilliant. Well said. Totally. And do you not find it really clever that they, well, like you said, attention to detail. There's a scene where they go in to steal the platinum. Yeah. And this just made me really, really happy that all the hoodlums had trouble lifting the platinum off the rack and moving it until it got to Rhino and he just passed it on as if it was nothing. It's little things like that where everyone else is human. You could That shows that Rhino's superhuman level strength. And then, of course, that's underlined even further when he literally gets the stack of platinum and drops it on Batman. It's uh, quite an imposing physical character to have. Um, remember the first shot we had of him outside of his oh, uh, balaclava yeah. and it's him walking down the uh, alleyway? I'll always remember Honest Trailers uh, by Screen Junkies, their discussion of uh, the animated say, series by saying that the people are rectangles. Yes. But that's just <laughs> a lot of physically imposing burly goons. They would be sort of blocky and rectangular, but this guy sort of epitomizes it. And just the feat of strength where Oof. he had, no, at the beginning of the episode, yeah. where he had one of the other guys and all four big bags of cash as they were climbing yep. that ventilation shaft. Yep. What kind of ungodly strength does this character possess? I've always maintained, it's never been verified, but I maintain that Rhino is a metahuman. He is super strong. And plus the fact he's, what, got to be eight feet tall at least? Something like that. Because he tells about Batman. And the other thing, we know how hard Batman punches. Yes. He took hits from Batman left, right and centre and didn't even win. It's only when he hit a wall yeah. or furniture fell on him that he felt anything. Yeah, because he's just so made of muscle, nothing would really bounce off of him. But then again, I just think back to that scene in the alley because Batman knows how to oh, beat a beautiful. foe so much bigger than him. He didn't really apply that much effort. Mm -hmm. He just did some very simple judo sidesteps yep. and just let the big lumbering idiot sort of trip over himself and fall into the crates and the trash cans or what have you. That's just Batman's superior fighting intellect at play there. Yep. The bigger they are, yep. the harder the they fall. Indeed. What do you make Ooh. of the completely brilliantly done multiple personality disorders side of it particularly when because i know you were surprised when we saw the end credits and we saw the fact that yes indeed ventriloquist and scarface were played by the same actor and yet there is no similarity between the two character voices i could talk so much about how good that performance was there there was a moment in the episode where Batman says it's hard to believe they're two different people even the computer's fault so i just went along and thought oh so they got two different voice actors which is good because that shows a clear difference between Ventriloquist and Scarface. Yes. 
Then I look at the credits and I'm like, wow, really? It was two, it was the same actor playing both parts, but they sounded both completely different. And the thing that really sold it for me is that the voice for Scarface, other than like the the typical New York East Coast Bostonian Mm. gangster, what have you, there was still something fairly sort of reserved and almost wooden and contained and small about the voice as though it were being projected by a ventriloquist. So that level of realism made me feel like, oh, it must be two different actors, or it must be a a voice actor who's used to ventriloquism doing the sort of talking out the corner of your mouth thing to make it sound convincing. Exactly. But it was just one remarkable performance, which I find mind-blowing. Absolutely. And I'm really glad. I mean, I know that a few of my colleagues and fellow Batman fans were a little disappointed that he doesn't talk the way he does in the comics where he can't say his bees. Hmm. And he does say got Ligear and Goon and uh, Gatman. But I honestly thought that was better because, like you said, and I'm really glad you spotted it, it still sounds like when he speaks of Scarface that it is a ventriloquist and he is putting effort into not doing got Ligear and Gatman. Yeah. There's something about that which makes it feel like it's a puppet. But yeah, it is, but it isn't. So you have to wonder, is... Arnold Wesker just crazy, or is there an actual other person in there? You just don't know. Well, I've I've said it, and I've said it to you tonight, that Scarface probably, after Joker, is the character I find the scariest. Because I honestly, I've got a thing about puppets coming to life. That's probably um, my one... I don't bother by clowns or snakes or bats or rats or bugs or spiders, but dummies, inanimate objects that are alive scare the bejesus out of me and Scarface's comics origin doesn't help it's a, quite a common fear if you think about it because little puppets or like those creepy dolls like that that's a oh, fairly common fear Chucky. because oh. Chucky don't watch Annabelle oh no don't watch Annabelle <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen it in bits and I'm like no thank you but still um, it's a common fear because they have such close enough features that we yes. start to think they're alive or maybe like children. We project but, life yeah. into them, don't we? Yeah. And then we just get peeled back when we just take out drive off of the nightmare cliff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. into the uncanny valley. So we get that real shock of it. And that's also very important because in particularly 3D animation, yeah. like uh, CG, they make certain features of the characters more cartoony, yes. larger eyes, exaggerated features, yeah. exaggerated body proportions, what have you, so that we don't get that reaction. Yeah. And that's perfectly normal. So when you see puppets like this with anatomically correct sort of parts to them and fairly oppressive personalities like Scarface does, mm-hmm. it is a little creepy. Very creepy indeed. And <laughs> fantastic lines like, Hey, dummy, don't put words in my mouth. Ventriloquist says that to Scarface when clearly he's putting all the words in his mouth, but he doesn't even know it. I think little subtle touches like that and little lines of dialogue like that are just magic. It really adds back to the strange duality of, is it a puppet or is it a spirit of a bunch of mobsters that died on the gallows brought back? It's hard to tell. So yeah, there's getting those little character moments in just adds a little bit of, Humor to offset the very creepy puppet. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, and what what's your take? Is it just Arnold Wesker's psychosis and dissociative identity disorder, 
or is Scarface actually possessed by the sp- an evil spirit or spirits? I think it could easily be both in certain ways. I think that there's an emptiness in Arnold Wesker's damaged psychology that sort of gets amplified mm. by all of the spirits that are in the puppet. But I also think that, particularly with the way the episode ends, there's enough of that darkness there in the ventriloquist to be able to bring that sort of side back out through whichever puppet he's been going through. Because I remember, or at least if I were writing for DC, and DC, I am available for consultation. (laughs) Um, I remember seeing somewhere the ventriloquist picking up some sort of like toy or puppet thing and then it's starting to become fairly insidious on its own. Yes. Did that happen? Did I, am I yes, going crazy? it has happened. Uh, the other side of it as well, which I'll mention, that there was a while where um, Scarface was destroyed and he slowly rebuilt him or when Wesker was separated from Scarface and he made other puppets to let other personalities out. Um, Nightfall was a huge example where he had uh, a sock called Socko. Yes, Socko. That's it. That's, That's what I was remembering. About. Yeah, and that was, it was just a sock puppet, but he was horrible. He was actually probably colder and more calculating than Scarface was, but he was a sock. Um, things like that. But the reason why Scarface worries me is there was a period where Wesker was presumed dead and a second ventriloquist came on the scene who was a lady but Scarface had the same voice and the same mannerisms and the same under a completely different ventriloquist. That's why that character just scares the bejesus out of me. And I also even remember uh, Scarface actually made a very minor appearance in the first Arkham game. Oh, right. On the Joker's lap. Oh, God. It was just for a brief moment, because if it had gone any further, I would have started to get scared. And for that, I have to give testament back to the amazing voice performance of Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's back, It's right at the end of the game, um, right before the final boss boss fight. Batman's walking up to the Joker, and the Joker's on like an Iron Throne sort of deal. Yeah. Um, and he's got. Why didn't you stop Batman? Me? It was your plan, you kooky clown. And then he just throws Scarface away in frustration. But there's a very clear sort of mm. like dis- disparity there. Yes. I'm just going to ca- uh, credit that back to Mark Hamill's amazing performance. Legend. But there is still a difference there where it felt like there was another spirit that Joker was sort of like talking with. Channeling. Yeah. It did sound a little Jokery, but also still very what you'd expect Scarface to sound like. Don't like it. Really don't like it. Also, the design of that Scarface in that game was even more... More like Punch and Judy sort of a puppet, Ooh, which like is which is even more creepy, which I will Google to show you just to freak no, you out. No, thank you. No, you'll like it. No, I really won't. <laughs> but what I do like is Mr. George Zunza, who plays Wesker and Scarface in this episode. And again, listeners, I know you're probably sick of us saying this, but the level of voice talent, let's talk about this guy who plays two roles in this episode. And let's not end there. Again, what hasn't he been in? From TV shows like Nora and Order, to movies like Basic Instinct, Crimson Tide, and the legendary Oscar-winning The Deer Hunter. But this one episode leads to Scarface returning in the 97th season of Batman the Animated Series in an episode called Double Talk. He plays a character in the Batman animated movie Sub-Zero. And on the strength of this episode, he also played Perry White in Superman the Animated Series. Wow. That is a good, that is a quite spread. That's really cool. That's amazing. And if you think that's impressive, 
Remember I said I recognise this voice with the actor that plays Rhino? Okay. Um, listen to this. From shows like The Wonder Years to um, Alien Nation, the movie, The Man with Two Brains, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, appearances in Wonder Woman 77 with Linda Carter, The Golden Girls. He played Senor Senior Senior in Kim Possible. And he's the narrator and notable other characters in your line of work in the world of Warcraft. Oh, wow. Yep. But above all others, he's the man that made the most appearances in the Terminator franchise after Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's Dr. Silverman. No way. Yes, indeed. It's Dr. Silverman from the Terminator movies. <laughs> Unrecognizable. No, really? Yep. I'm just seeing the weird Your face right now I'm is I'm seeing magic. the weirdy looking dude <laughs> in Rise of the Machines watching Arnie carry, carry that casket out of the mausoleum. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scared looking... Really? That dude? Yep. The dude who drops his pen out of his mouth when the T-1000 steps through the bars in the asylum. Wow. Okay, then. Um, yes. Acting. Don't you just love it? Right? Amazing. Again, two tv and voiceover acting royalty uh, uh actors as far as i'm concerned definitely so and they put real heat realism and characterization into strong <sighs> strong figures wrong. and i'm glad they did such a good job absolutely absolutely so well done kudos to everyone on this episode actors writers directors animators superb which leads me to that age-old question adam this week's episode read my lips Takeaways, likes, dislikes, things that stood out in your mind. As good as the ensemble cast is coming into this episode with uh, Ventriloquist Scarface and all of those goons, I have to go back to the recurring characters who will always have Mm -hmm. a place in my heart and Batman's heart. Yes, indeed. Because I really thought this might have been the moment where Jim Gordon clocked the Batman had entered the room, but no, (laughs) Batman still has to meddle with the blood pressure of Grandpa Cop. Well said, and I had a very similar notion, but to me, again, it wasn't the entrance. It's the classic leaving poor Jim mid-sentence disappearing act, which, let's be honest, is just plain rude. I mean, that's what Barry says in Justice League. (laughs) Yeah, that was rude. That was rude. (laughs) But then again, it's also quite skillful to be able to do that every single time without noticing, because... Like, if I were Jim after so many years, I would just keep my eyes fixed on him forever. Yeah. be like, okay, so this is the evidence we have. Yes, we've, they were seen in these locations. <laughs> uh, we don't have any priors on them just yet, but this is what we have, Batman. And they just keep staring at him. And they just keep staring at him until Batman has to very awkwardly so sidestep out of the... Out of like the a court. crab. Yeah. <laughs> Dear listener, I wish you could have seen Adam while he was saying that because he was fixed, gazed at a, a point in the wall while he was doing that as if it was Jim looking at Batman. And it was a lovely thing to watch. <laughs> I, I, I have a bit of uh, like acting experience from some of my education. I, I haven't been on stage oh, or in front of a camera in a very long time. So it's yes. been a while since I flex those muscles so it's a it was a nice opportunity to sort of imagine batman in front of me but then again when i'm feeling low on energy imagining batman in front of you is actually quite motivating yes indeed and in this room my office there's a lot of batman in front of you 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 would you'd be surprised but there is in fact quite a bit of batman in here (laughs) i don't think anyone would be surprised anyone that knows this anyway well that's it then another episode of batman the animated series and again a 100 percent grade a star winner at least in my mind yours sir certainly yes uh it really hit home that they were able to just do a character that i grew to appreciate now thanks to this episode with great bit of justice good stuff i also got a new scarface and a fan well that's always a good thing 
Very much so, yeah. Absolutely. Right, so that's that for this week. So until we appear again, let's um, hear from Adam and see which gangs he runs with and where else you could find his works. For my workings in and across the interwebs, you can find me talking Batman-flavoured things, reviewing many titles a month on Dark Knight News. But for my true love, PC and tabletop gaming, you can look no further than our website, fantasticuniverses.com, where I review the odd comic here and there, but mostly talk about the card games I'm heavily obsessed with you can find me on apotheosis studios talking about supplements and new game materials for your dungeons and dragons games or you can find me with news and articles on gg across pc gaming worlds for visual media look to the hostile atmosphere for my gaming let's plays with me and some of my university friends follow me on twitter at is it tinkerer or behind the dark of the mirror Beautiful. And if you're into PC games, if you're into desktop gaming, if you're into D&D, Magic, all that kind of stuff, do check those shows out because they are very cool indeed. This show, Our Baby, I Am The Night, is part of the DC Comics News Network alongside the original DC Comics News podcast where you'll also hear my tones every so often. Uh, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. The Spinner Act, where our buddy Seth Singleton talks about the five best DC books every week, so you know where to spend your money wisely. Kelly Gaines is also there. She's got her own show on YouTube called DCN After Dark, where lots of alcohol and shenanigans occur. And if you want to laugh yourself silly, check that show out. All of these can be found across YouTube, Twitcher, Twitch, Stitcher, Tumblr, Everywhere you want to find social media, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Um, DC Comics News and my other sites, Dark Knight News, with the more Batman-focused DC realms, can be found across Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube as well. And wherever you find podcasts is where you'll find this show and all those other aforementioned shows. For my writing work, just Google Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes. See my news reviews and interviews across DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, CBR, and our baby fantastic universes. Until you do, though, you really need to... Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Here's Adam Ray. Here's the Knight. Together we are the Knights. This has been the I Am the Knight podcast. (laughs) 